Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul socially unacceptable totally uninhibited adult themes language so if you're easily offended if you're easily triggered then i highly suggest you turn this off now and if not just keep in mind parental discretion is advised all right everybody welcome to mysterious circumstances this episode, we are going to be discussing the Watsika Wonder. It is something that has intrigued me for a long time. Got a couple requests for it, so I had to see what all the fuss was about. Definitely an interesting topic, but I do have to tell you, this is one of those episodes that you're going to have to pay attention to. Before we get going, I do have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. We got Mindy Hall, William Duke, Jay Bevan, Kristen Stalnicker, and the Conservative Viking. Thank you all so much for becoming Patreon members. I hope you guys are enjoying the huge backlog of episodes we got. I think we're almost to 90 episodes on Patreon now. All kinds of different stuff on there. If you want to check it out, join Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. You can check out some of the episodes on there. Check out the tiers. I do have some reviews to read, but I'm going to read them on the next episode. So if you want to leave a review, get something read, then go ahead and get it in. Appreciate everybody listening, and I also got to state some sources real quick. We got two books, one by E. Winchester Stevens, the Dr. Stevens, and it is the Watsika Wonder Book. It is only about 62 pages. This is the original book where a lot of the information comes from. Huge source of information. We also got a book published in 1908 by Henry Addington Bruce historic ghosts and ghost hunters it's an amazing book it's free pdf online all you got to do is just search it and look for it and it gives a really good psychological evaluation of this case along with many others so that might be of interest to you also a couple find a grave websites we got the history of and then a couple other various uh, psychology websites that basically offhand mention this case so with all that behind us on with the show So in order to help us understand this case, we also have to understand the case of Mary Roth, and that's where we're going to start. 
On October 8, 1846, Mary Groff was born in Warren County, Indiana. She was a daughter of Asa and Dorothy Groff. She suffered from cataleptic fits. That's what they were referred to as, and they had started when she was about six months old. Then, as soon as she was able to talk, she explained that when she had the fits, it made her able to speak to spirits, and it gave her clairvoyant abilities. Now, her fits only worsened and got more frequent as she grew older. She went from having them every few weeks to having them every four to five days as she entered her teen years. One of the several doctors she went to told her to start bloodletting. For those of you who don't know what that is, they used to do it all the time. They'd put leeches on you, they'd cut you, basically bleed you out because they thought your blood was poisoned and shit. So she took to bleeding herself in order to try to relieve a lump of pain that she said was in her head. Doctors actually prescribed leeching. It really didn't help her. I mean, she would put these leeches on her on her temples, you know what I mean? But it really didn't help her, and the doctors, you know, told her, it's like, you don't have to do it anymore, but she ended up keeping the leeches as pets, and she kept doing it herself. So, when she was about 13 years old, the family moved to Watsika, which is about 85 miles south of Chicago, Illinois. Now, by that time, Mary's health had been really badly weakened by epileptic fits, and by this time, she's suffering from them about twice a day. Then, on July 16, 1864, around 9 in the morning, Mary went into her backyard and cut her arm deeply with a knife. Due to the blood loss, she ended up fainting. It's kind of debated on whether or not she was trying to take her own life um, because she was severely depressed because of her health problems. But some people also think that she was bloodletting. She was trying to bleed herself out like she normally did. But due to the blood loss, she ended up fainting. Now, this was about 9 o'clock in the morning when this happened. And her parents ended up finding her unconscious from the blood loss and called a doctor and she didn't wake up until about two o'clock in the afternoon and when she did she was wild and crazy violent and she was so violent that it took five grown men to hold her down now the reason this is surprising is because she was a young woman at this time she barely weighed a hundred pounds and she was already weak from blood loss now she was delirious for five days after which she suddenly became calm and slept for 15 hours straight. Now, when she awoke, she seemed to be back to normal. But while she was unconscious, she had bandages covering her eyes and a blindfold and stuff, and it was to protect her eyes from her unconscious scratching. But instead of removing these bandages... She claimed to not be able to use her senses in the normal way anymore. She discovered that she was able to see as easily while blindfolded as she could when she wasn't blindfolded. One story says that she actually read the encyclopedia while blindfolded. Now, people start getting wind of this, okay? They start hearing about this girl who can dress herself blindfolded. She can see herself while blindfolded in the mirror. She can read shit. So a newspaper editor from Danville Times, he came to write a story about her, and he decided to put her to the test. He brought a sealed letter with him and asked her to tell him who sent it to him, and she was able to do that with no problem at all. Her local pastor, as well as her own father, tried to trick her, 
with this whole blindfolded thing, and every time she was able to read what they asked her to. There was another day, while blindfolded, she was given a box full of letters. Some of these letters were written to her, some of them were written to other people. She picked up each sealed envelope and read that letter inside of it. She would throw away the ones that were not addressed to her. The ones that were for her, she would read out loud while they were still sealed in the envelope, and she would read them word for word. Now, they had family friends, including A.J. Smith, the editor of Danville Times, and Reverend J.H. Ray. They all witnessed Mary Roth, heavily blindfolded, accurately read to them the contents of a sealed letter in the editor's pocket, and then arrange correctly a pile of old letters which she could not see while she was blindfolded. Now, this editor wrote a really long, detailed account of all these incidents in his paper. Then she began to hear voices telling her to do things. She was also able to speak in voices other than her own, including speaking other languages she had no way of knowing. Later that month, she returned to good enough health, but her fits got worse. If that makes sense, uh, she was good enough to basically be released from the hospital. Doctors could never find a medical reason for any of her fits, and her parents didn't know what to do, so they followed medical advice and sent her to an asylum in Peoria, Illinois for a water cure, which was hydropathy, and that didn't help either. And these water cures, hydropathy, like, this was, they really quit doing it in the early 20th century because... This shit was like borderline torture for people. What they would do is like, let's say if you, you know, suffered from manic episodes, you would be soaked in a lukewarm bath for hours on end. They would mummify you with wet towels for a day at a time, freezing ice cold wet towels for a day at a time to try to fix whatever might ail you. Random shit like that. And it was really, really bad. If you look into it, man, it's it's borderline freaking torturing these people. And to be honest with you, the sad fact is they quit doing this to start doing electroshock therapy, which they thought was better. So there's that, all right? But anyway, none of these water cures worked. So Mary's health starts deteriorating. And before long, the doctors advised her parents just to pretty much put her in a mental institution and call it quits. They refused to do that, and they decided to try to care for her themselves. So for the 4th of July holiday in 1865, they took her with them when they visited friends in Peoria, Illinois. And while they were there, Mary complained of a terrible headache, and she went to her room. And a few minutes later, they found her unconscious on the floor in a pool of blood, and they rushed her to the nearby asylum. And she ended up dying the afternoon of July 5th, the next day, at the age of 19 years old. Now, it is debated. You hear different accounts of her dying at home or her dying in the asylum. This is the one that I read the most of, so this is the one that uh, I am reporting on. But at any rate, on the afternoon of July 5th, 1865, Mary Roth died at the age of 19. But that is not the last we are going to hear from Mary. Now, before we get to Lorancey Venom, 
Let's go ahead and take a break and get a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Feels CBD. Feels is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. All you have to do is place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. Now if you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. It's a natural way to help you feel better. There's no hangover, there's no addiction. And when you join the community, you get Feels delivered directly to your door every single month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. I use Feels to help me sleep at night. I have one of those overactive brains that just keeps going and going and going. I use Feels for that and for anxiety because it calms me down so bad. I have anxiety problems and it works. And if you want to become a member, you can get 50% off your first order. CBD isn't really about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Just stress. Like I said, anxiety, pain. Feels is the premium CBD that'll help you keep your head clear, make you feel your best. It's hassle-free, and it is delivered directly to your door. And one of the things you need to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important, and everybody's dose is different. Feels offers that free CBD hotline to help guide you. It'll help with your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. If you become a member, you get 50% off your first order. Now you can join the Feels monthly membership and it'll make everything way easier. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So if you want to start feeling better with Feels, become a member today by going to feels.com slash mysterious and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash mysterious. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, so going forward... On April 16th, 1864, Mary Lorancy Venom was born in Iowa. She was born to pretty respectable parents, religious parents at that. In 1871, the family moved to a farm seven miles south of Watsika. At the time, the population was about 1,500 people. Now, this was nearly six years after the death of Mary Roth. So there isn't really any possibility that Lorancy could have seen Mary. She might have heard about her, you know, from the past or whatever, but there was no way she could have seen her. Lorancy was a normal, healthy child. She was uh, 13 when the 12th anniversary of Mary Roth's death occurred on the 5th of July, 1877. That night, some stuff happened to her. 
Next morning, she gets up and she tells her parents, there were people in my room last night and they kept calling Rancy, Rancy, and I could feel their breath on my face. Now, about a week later, on July 11th, 1877, Lorancy was helping her mom stitch a broken seam in a carpet, and she said that she felt ill. She falls to the ground, and she goes unconscious for five hours. And not only is she unconscious, but she is, like, rigid. Like, her body is really rigid, like something you'd see in a horror movie for, like, five hours, okay? Family doesn't know what the hell to do. The next day, it happens again. And while it's going on, she has no awareness of her surroundings at all. Now, this shit started happening every day. She started laying stiff. She would have a faint pulse. She would breathe slow and weak. Her temperature would be below normal. And she would have excruciating abdominal pains. And they said that her abdominal pains were so bad that she would be bending backwards to the point her feet would almost be touching the back of her head. Like, that's how bad the abdominal pains were, and she would just contort her body. So when she'd come out of these things, she starts talking about how she was in heaven. And then she starts talking about angels and spirits, and she does name and describe her brother who died when she was three. Now... Like I said, when she would come out of these fits, she would not remember anything that happened. Her parents, who were deeply religious people, they thought she was going insane. But she's also getting looked at by all these doctors, and they can't figure out what is wrong with her. And their parents' fears increased over time when her fits started becoming more frequent. They would last longer. They would last anywhere from 1 to 8 hours and occurring from 3 to 12 times a day, depending. So by January of 1878, like, they went through this shit for like six months. And like I said, Lorancy, her fits were more frequent. Doctors didn't know what to do. So they pretty much said, we don't know what to do. We're beyond all hope for any kind of cure. And the proper place for her is an insane asylum. And the local reverend actually wrote a letter to the asylum basically asking, you know, hey, can you take this young girl in? Here's what's going on. And they were, you know, she was going to be accepted. And back then, when you went to an asylum like that, that was it. There was a 95% chance that that is where you were going to die. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't much getting out. Now... Keep in mind, this whole six months this is going on, the whole town is hearing about everything. You know, they're kind of, you know, the little whispers in a small town. Remember, this is like 1878. Not much else going on. So a little bit of gossip goes a long way. Well, one of the people who hears about this case is Mr. Asa Roth. And he ended up visiting Mr. Venom. And he was also a resident of Watsika. He was one of the Venom neighbors, but he wasn't like a friend or anything like that. He was just more of a casual acquaintance. They just knew each other. Now, Asaroff was a devout spiritist. He had became that way. He had kind of converted to that after everything happened with his daughter. So he hears about the Lorancy Venom case, and he noticed that it sounded kind of like his daughter's. And we all know how his daughter's case ended, so... I think he kind of wanted to help, so he went to the Venoms, and he convinced Lorancy's parents not to have her committed, and instead, 
to call a doctor who was also a spiritist, and his name was E. Winchester Stevens. Because he had converted to this spiritism, is what they called it, you know, he basically had the belief that Mary Roth, his daughter, was not actually insane, but she was some sort of medium. And back in these days, just let me go on a tangent here real quick. Back in these days, like, spiritualism, spiritism, all of those certain things, like, they were common. Like, this is the height of all of that. Small communities like Watsika usually had the mindset of just believe whatever you're going to believe as long as you don't hurt anybody and don't try to push it on others or preach. Nobody really cares, you know. Everybody was free to kind of do their own thing. Um, so this, like I said, was at the height of all of this. So even smaller communities were pretty open to it. It's it's honestly an intriguing little time in history. So anyway, Mr. Roth begs Mr. Venom not to put his daughter in an asylum. And Mrs. Roth agreed. And at this point, I think their whole mindset was, what do we have to lose? You know what I mean? Like, either they're going to help her or she's going to go to the asylum either way. So we might as well try whatever we can to save our daughter. So they decided as a last resort to call in that doctor from Janesville, Wisconsin. Like I said, he was a spiritist and he would try to treat the case. And the Roths were confident of this. The Venoms... Not so much. They were kind of skeptical, but like I said, what did they have to lose? So on the afternoon of January 31st, the Dr. E. Winchester Stevens pays his first visit to Lorancy with Mr. Roth. He said in his book, she was sitting near a stove in a common chair, her elbows on her knees, her hands under her chin, feet curled up on the chair, eyes staring, looking every way like an old hag. Now, apparently she was in a bad mood that day. They sat there in silence for a while. She would not shake their hands. So Dr. Stevens goes and he moves his chair and Lorancy warmed him not to come any closer that she didn't want to be touched. Then she starts calling her parents some pretty fucked up names. She calls her dad an old black dick and calls her mom old granny. And... You know, they might not seem like a big deal now, but back then, that kind of vulgarity towards your parents, you know, they'd probably beat you for that. But anyway, all of a sudden she kind of brightens up and she announced that she had discovered that Dr. Stevens was a spiritual doctor and could help her and that she was ready to answer any questions he might ask. Now, this is without her really knowing that they had not said anything. So he starts asking her a few questions. She said that her name was not Lorancy Venom, but it was Katrina Hogan, who was an angry old woman, that she was 63 years old and had come from Germany through the air three days prior to this. And then all of a sudden, she changes her mannerisms very quickly, and she said that she had lied, and she was in reality a boy who was 20 years old named Willie Channing, who had died and now is here because he wants to be. And while she's saying she's these different people, she's also speaking in different voices. So this goes back and forth, like Dr. Stevens and 
Lorancy are going back and forth for like an hour, just sitting there talking. Her parents are the ones who were like, they were doing this insane talk for like an hour. They started crying because they didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then all of a sudden she fell back onto her back in a, like a very rigid state with her hands pointing towards the ceiling. And she was like unmovable. She was totally stiff. Now, Dr. Stevens, he took both her hands there and he tries to magnetize her. You know, he was trying to hypnotize her. So she ends up calming down and says she was being controlled by evil spirits. So Dr. Stevens, because he was a spiritist, he suggested that she allow herself to be controlled by a spirit who would prevent those that were evil and insane from returning to trouble her and her family, and that this good spirit would help her regain her health. So she started naming off names of several people who had died. And that of all the spirits around her was one that the angels strongly recommended for this very purpose. And that spirit wanted to come and basically take control of her body to try to help her. And the spirit's name was Mary Roth. So when Mr. Roth hears this, he says, Why, this is my daughter who has been in heaven these 12 years. Yes, let her come. We'll be glad to have her come. So then she starts talking about and giving details of the Roth home. And remember, she had never known the Roth family before this day. So everybody freaks out for a little bit about all this info that she starts coming forward. And she starts referring to Mr. and Mrs. Roth as Ma and Pa. So all this goes on for quite a while that night. Now, Mr. Roth ends up going home and... When this initial possession, if you want to call it that, when the initial possession of Mary Roth started, her personality started changing too. She became very mild, passive, polite, but also didn't recognize her own family. And she says that she wants to go back home. And her home was the Roth house, not the Venom house. So Mr. Venom, who is completely puzzled this next morning, He says that, and this is what he testified to, uh, the next morning he went to go visit Mr. Roth's office, and he said, My girl had a sound night's sleep after you and Dr. Stevens left us, but today she asserts that she is Mary Roth, refuses to recognize her mother or myself, and demands to be taken to your house. So Mrs. Roth hears about this, and she wants to see it for herself. So she and her other daughter... Minerva, which was Mary's sister, they go to see Lorancy. So while they are going to see her, Lorancy is sitting in a window and she sees them coming down the street and she starts yelling, here comes my mom and my sister Nervy. The thing about that is, Nervy is the nickname that Mary Roth had called her sister when they were younger while she was still alive. So when they pull up, She goes running to the door and she starts hugging them and kissing them and she's just extremely happy because they're there. And all of a sudden she starts talking about past events that Lorancy could not have known. There was no way she could have had this knowledge. So Mr. Roth ends up coming back a little bit later and he was greeted in the exact same way and she starts begging for them to take her home. And this whole time she's treating the members of her own family as though they are complete strangers, like she doesn't even know who they are. So the parents thought 
this is a whole new phase of insanity. That's literally what their thought process was. They're like, she's completely lost it at this point. But the Roths had no doubt that she was being possessed by their daughter, Mary, who had died 12 years earlier. And this was when Lorancy was about a year and a half old. So after about a week or two of this going on and like the Roths coming back to visit and her not recognizing her family and saying she wants to go back home to the Roth home, you know, this is going on for like a week or two. They they kind of agree that maybe Lorancy should go live with the Roths for a little bit. Lorancy's mom wasn't really great about that idea. She was pretty pissed about it, but she she thought it would help her recovery. So she was pretty reluctant, but she's like, yeah, all right. And then they asked, you know, they're like, well, where's Lorancy right now? You know, if you're Mary Roth, where's, where's Lorancy? And the spirit Mary Roth said that she would be in the spirit world while her mind and body were being fixed. So Mary would be possessing her body until then. So on February 11th, the Roths go to pick her up to take her back to their house and on the way to the Roth home, more weird stuff happened. The Venoms and the Roth family lived on opposite ends of Watsika. So when Mary Roth died in 1865, they had been living in a house that was in the central section of town. Now, while they're heading to their new house, Lorancy, she kind of turned to go into that house and she was surprised when they were like we don't live here and she said why i know that i live here and they basically said you know hey we actually built a different house in north end of town we don't actually live here anymore so she ends up getting to the actual new roth home and she's not really disappointed anymore when she gets there she was disappointed at first because it was a different house but she starts getting in a happier mood. Uh, she starts going from room to room, identifying objects which she had never seen before, which were well known by Mary Roth when she was still alive. Mr. and Mrs. Roth were extremely happy because they felt like they have a second chance with their daughter that they lost. And uh, they said, truly our daughter who was dead has been restored to us. So almost every day after this, Lorancy, also Mary, starts talking about past events, which were only known by family. She knew family and friends. She knew Mary's favorite clothes and belongings. And over the course of like 14, 15 weeks, she's there living with the family, visiting all of their friends. Friends are coming to visit her. And she's just convincing all these people that she was Mary Roth. So when Mrs. Roth one day asked her if she recalled the family moving to Texas in 1857. This was when Mary was 11. She immediately said that she remembered it well, particularly seeing the Indians along the Red River and playing with the young daughters of a family named Reader, who were among the same traveling party. Because this whole time, the Roth family is still trying to test her abilities to see how valid this claim really is. And like I said, while all this is happening, they asked Mary where the real Lorancy Venom was. And again, she told them that Lorancy was away being treated and would come back when she was restored to health, both mentally and physically. When Lorancy was ready to return, Mary must leave. 
So they asked her how long she would be there, and Lorancey said, The angels will let me stay till sometime in May, and oh how happy I am. The stay at the Roth home did help her physical condition, which continued to improve, and it helped her mental health. She started not having fits anymore, she seemed to be a lot happier, and one of the bad things was she didn't really recognize or know anything about her own family, which were the Venoms. She also didn't recognize or know anything about any of their friends or any of their neighbors. They would often visit to check on their daughter and stuff like that. They would bring their kids with them. They would uh, bring friends with them. And the whole time, Mary is pretty much treating them like strangers. And I say Mary, but the real Lorancy, Mary, you know. Um, they visited a lot, so she learned to love them as friends. But she really didn't know that they were family. So she was generally happy in her new home. She often went out with Mrs. Roth to visit uh, families in the city and stuff like that. Uh, all of these other families soon became convinced that the girl was not insane but normal and a very well-mannered child. Now, occasionally, Mary would go back to heaven and leave the body in a state of trance. And then after about eight or nine weeks of being at the Roth home, the personality of Lorancy would occasionally return, and this would only be for a few minutes at a time. She did take full possession for a brief time. Now, again, this whole time, the Roth family and Dr. Stevens are asking her questions about her former life as Mary. She couldn't remember anything about Lorancy, but she could recall everything about Mary without having to even think about it. And Mary was also conscious of the fact that she was in somebody else's body. Dr. Stevens asked her one day, Do you remember the time that you cut your arm? And she replied, Yes, indeed. And she rolled up her sleeve. I can show you the scar. It was... And then she paused. And then she added, Oh, this is not the arm. That one is in the ground. Creepy, right? <laughs> so... Then she started to describe the spot where Mary had been buried and the circumstances of attending her own funeral and who all was there. And Mary, or Lorancy, often spoke of seeing Dr. Stevens' daughter, Emma Stevens, in heaven, who had died in March 1849, and she told Dr. Stevens that his daughter was very happy there. And then she physically described the girl, and the details were accurate even down to an X-shaped scar on the cheek resulting from surgery after an infection. She also described Dr. Stevens' home in Janesville, Wisconsin, where she had never been, and gave the names and ages of his other children. Now, all of old friends of Mary's, acquaintances and stuff like that, whenever they would come to see her or she would see them, they were greeted as though they had been seen only the day before, although in one or two cases where she did not recognize a person supposedly due to their appearance changing over the 12 years that Mary had been dead. Uh, when Mary had met one friend of the Roth family, a woman named Mrs. Lord, she had been married and changed names after her death. She said, you have changed the least of anyone since I came back. But she knew who she was by looking at her, not by name, because her new name was Mrs. Wagoner, because she had been remarried. 
two other former neighbors to Mary called on the Roths, and Mary recognized them as Auntie Parker and Nellie. And she says, do you remember how nervy and I used to come to your house and sing? Mary was supposedly a very talented piano player. I mean, it was like she knew, she knew everybody, okay? Now, if what they're saying is true at this house, she knew everybody and everything about everybody. So, Dr. Stevens and Mr. Roth still have all these tests that they're carrying out and they're testing her with. Because Roth got a lot of criticism from others for taking the girl into their home. Like I said, this small town, everybody talks. So all these people in the community are like, listen, she's just pretending, man. She's crazy. She's the devil. And he's just like, I don't think you guys understand the, uh, the depth of what's going on here. So there's one test that they did while the little girl was playing outdoors one afternoon. Mr. Roth suggested to his wife that she bring out a velvet hat that their daughter had worn the last year of her life. And he said to place it on the hat stand and see if Lorancy could recognize it. So it was done, and she recognized it instantly. And when she saw it, she actually said, that's the headdress I wore when my hair was short. All of this stuff just starts reinforcing the thought that this is the spirit of Mary. Lorancy picks up the hat, and then she mentions uh, an event that was connected with it, and then asks her mom, or not her mom, but asks Mrs. Roth, have you my box of letters also? And the box was found, and she starts looking through it. She's like, oh, ma, here's a collar I tatted. Ma, why did you not show me my letters and things before? So one by one, she starts picking out and identifying all this stuff dating back to Mary's childhood. And this is before Lorancy Venom was even born. There's also another story that is told that on one occasion, she affirmed that her supposed brother, Frank Roth, would be taken seriously ill during the night. Now, he was in perfect health, so they just kind of were like, okay, whatever. But at some point that night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, he was actually stricken with what is vaguely said to have been something like a spasm and congestive chill. So she told Mr. Roth to hurry next door where he would find Dr. Stevens. Mr. Roth said, but Dr. Stevens is in quite another part of the city tonight. And she says, no, he has come back. You will find him where I say. So Mr. Roth goes and he's pretty fucking skeptical that Dr. Stevens is even going to be there. But he goes there anyway. And unknown to the Roth family, he was spending the night there with his aide. And it is perhaps worth noting that the brother Frank Roth had been cured of his spasm and congestive chill that night because Dr. Stevens just happened to be there when they thought he wasn't. So, of course, the Roths, again, are just freaking out how happy they are. On May 7, 1878, she called Mrs. Roth to one side and informed her in a voice broken by sobs that Lorancy was getting better and was going to be coming back soon and that they would have to say goodbye to Mary once again. As she said this, there was another change that occurred, and 
she kind of like stared around like she was lost and she was very agitated and she demanded very loudly, where am I? I was never here before. I want to go home. So Mrs. Roth is like completely heartbroken and she explains that she had been under the control of Mary's spirit for the purpose of curing her body. Then she told her that if she was coming back and if she was ready to come back that her parents would be sent for. But then within five minutes she lost all knowledge of her true identity of Lorancy and she was Mary Roth again. Mary Roth was actually super happy because she said that she was permitted to return. Now, for a few days, she continued in this state, and she would have occasional lapses where she was Lorancy again. So on May 20th, she had talked to her father and talked to her mother as Mary, and she was crying, and she just didn't want to have to leave them again. And she was very emotional and stuff like that. The next morning, on May 21st, after about 14 weeks of living with the Roth family, she announced that the time for definite leave-taking had at last arrived, and all the neighbors and the family were basically, you know, they were all saying their goodbyes, and it was arranged that her sister Nervy would take her to Mr. Roth's office, and that Mr. Roth would escort her home after that. Now, while Nervy was taking the young Lorancy, or Mary, back to Mr. Roth's office, she said that there were sharp interchanges of her personality, uh, but Mary's spirit was more dominant, but her personality kept going back and forth very quickly. So when she arrived, she met back with her parents. She was calling them mom and dad again, mother and father. She started hugging and kissing them. She was just super, super happy to be back home, and she was happy to be Lorancy again. She was very happy with her home and her surroundings. She told her family that the past 15 weeks had seemed like she had been asleep, and it was like a dream to her. And when she got back home, her mother said that she was perfectly and entirely well and natural. She also said that Lorancy had become a little smarter, more intelligent, more industrious, more womanly, and more polite than she was before. She didn't have any fits anymore. She didn't scare her parents with any of her weird actions that had made them, you know, want to put her in the asylum before. As a result, the Roths declared that she was cured because of the intervention of the spirit of their daughter Mary. Had you know, she had helped her. Needless to say, the people of Watsika, it was pretty curious for them. They were kind of interested in the progress and the whole time that she was thinking she was Mary or she was possessed by Mary, whatever the case was. The first knowledge outside of like local papers and stuff like that came through two articles contributed by Dr. Stevens to the August 3rd and August 10th, 1878 issues of the Religio-Philosophical Journal. This is one of the, at the time, leading spiritist publications in the United States. He reported the case in full detail, talking about how she wasn't having any more fits and that she was actually fine now, which technically I guess she was. Uh, Dr. Stevens gave it as his unqualified conviction that the spirit of Mary Roth had actually revisited the earth in the person of Lorancy Venom and had been the instrument for her cure. 
And because, you know, everybody believed it because the only people reading this are spiritists and spiritualists and stuff like that. So everybody was right on board with the fact that she was cured. The kicker, though, is that the doctor who treated her, the family, and some of the other ones around her were all in the same belief system. So nobody really questioned the validity of it. There were some people who contested it. You know, they they were saying that the accuracy and truthfulness of the Roths, you know, wasn't accurate. They were saying they were basically attacking them. One person wrote in to the journal, can the truthfulness of the narrative be substantiated outside of yourself and those immediately interested? Can it be shown that there was no collusion between the parties? That is a good question right there. Another person wrote in and asked, is it a fact or is it a story made up to see how cunning a tale one can tell? And Mr. Roth, he was very, very adamant about everything happening this way. He wrote this long letter to the Religio Philosophical Journal denouncing any accusations of fraud. And he gave the names of a number of men who would vouch for his integrity and concluded with the statement, I am now 63 years old, have resided in Iroquois County 30 years, and would not now sacrifice what reputation I may have by being party to the publication of such a narrative, if it were not perfectly true. Which, I mean, he has a good point. Back then, you didn't have much. You had your reputation, your name, and physically what you actually had. So, I mean, you know, he's got a good point. But after he said this, there were several letters written to the journal, and they were well-known Illinois professional men who endorsed Mr. Roth's character and an announcement to the effect that the editor, J.C. Bundy himself, said he has entire confidence in the truthfulness of the narrative and believes from his knowledge of the witnesses that the account is unimpeachable in every particular. So... They had just straight-up confidence in the fact that he wasn't lying. The exact term was implicit confidence in his veracity. Now, after all this, accusations of fraud and deception were obviously all around. But it was basically like a thing where unless you were a spiritist, you probably wouldn't understand what was going on and therefore you wouldn't accept it. So that was kind of the way it was viewed by non-spiritists and stuff like that. Now, in 1887, a book entitled The Watsika Wonder is published, and it is about 62 pages. You can also read that online for free, in which Dr. Stevens described Venom as the most remarkable case of spirit return and manifestation ever recorded in history. Dr. Stevens also wrote that when Lorancy later married, Roth's spirit supposedly inhabited her body again so that she would experience a painless childbirth. Now, Lorancy Venom ended up passing away in 1952 at the age of 88 after having a bunch of kids, having a good marriage, and she is now buried in Long Beach, California. Alright, so I really hope you guys enjoyed part one. I wanted to break this into two separate episodes because the next episode is going to be longer than this one because we're going to break down the debunkers and the psychology from back in the day. And then we're going to address some issues with the Dr. Stevens narrative as well as some contradictions from the debunkers themselves. 
ways that you can get a hold of me. You can follow the Facebook page. You can join the Facebook group. Just look for Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Mysterious underscore podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at PodcastMC. Yeah, or you can just email me at justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com. I also don't advertise it very much, but I do have a merchandise shop. Go to tpublic.com slash mcpodcast, tpublic.com slash mcpodcast. You can find my merch there. I got some pretty interesting stuff in there. A lot of random stuff, too. If you want to join Patreon, like I said, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. We got a full boatload of episodes on there. Or if you just want to buy me a beer, you can hit me at Venmo at MC Podcast. Until next time, I will see you folks on the flip side.